Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Wendy Papazon, leader of the Papazon Properties Group at Keller Williams Realty. In just six years, Wendy has grown her business to a team of 11 and is on track to close more than 200 homes in 2015. Wendy is on the Agent Leadership Council at the Keller Williams Southwest office, helps monitor profitability and set vision for the world's largest real estate office. In addition to owning multiple income-producing properties, both residential and commercial in Austin, she co-owns a real estate office in Memphis, Tennessee, and is a partner in a venture capital firm, as well as a publishing company. Now, let's welcome Wendy to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, Wendy, thank you very much for being on our show today. And also, I want to shout out to Brad Inman for actually connecting us originally. So, thank you, Brad, for introducing uh, Wendy and I. And so, Wendy, thank you very much for your time today. So, a lot of you guys know Wendy because she is one of, I think, one of the most respected and um, successful agents, agent team owners in the country. But I'll tell you, the other thing that a lot of you don't know, and Wendy and I are really going to focus on today about Wendy, is she really has or she's coming at least a lot closer than a lot of us to the idea of having work-life balance. So, Wendy, thank you very much for joining us for today's radio show. Thank you, Tim. I, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so you want to just jump right into it? I mean, we can talk about real estate. We can talk about lead generation. We can talk about building and scaling your team. We can talk about all of that, and we certainly will um, with time permitting. But what I'd really like to talk about is what you really, you know, you really captured my interest when you and I chatted a while ago about, you know, you have really focused in on not being one of these agents that essentially sacrifices quality of life and uh, for success. So kind of walk me through for agents who think that it's either one or the other. How do you help them with their mindset realizing that they can truly have both? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I had a blessing, which was uh, my husband's worked for directly for Gary Keller for the last 15 years. And pretty much whenever Gary gets together with his top agents, the main thing he talks about is, Leverage is about getting help in your real estate business so that you can grow your business and have a better life. And so when I started out, you know, what my husband always encouraged me to do was to get help. And for me, you know, kind of starting out as a part-time agent and going from being a stay-at-home mom, the place where I got a lot of help at first was actually the home. And when I travel around the country speaking to folks about this kind of work-life balance thing, that's one of the first things that I talk about. So it's kind of how can you get help at home? so that you can, you know, stay at work longer or or actually work a full day. Well, let's I mean again, we have a lot of listeners that are struggling with this. I mean, we usually have 100,000 agents listen to us every month. So, you say at home Drill down on that with me a little bit. Help me understand what you're talking about. Sure, sure. Well, one thing that I encourage agents to do is, first of all, figure out what your dollar per hour is. You know, a lot of agents put in a lot of hours, and they don't really make as much per hour as they think they do, or they actually make a lot more than they actually think they do. So let's say your dollar per hour is $60 per hour, and you're looking at hiring a housekeeper who you can pay $20 an hour, then it doesn't really make sense to clean your bathroom, you know, when you come home at work 
when you come home from work at night or even leave early from work to clean your bathroom when you could pay somebody else to do it, and you can actually work in your business. Does that make sense? Uh, right. So that's very practical. So essentially, um, start out with a business owner's approach to making decisions. Calculate either what your current um, hourly wage is, what you're actually earning when you're working, or at least if you don't have a a number that's much better than you know maybe what you would be otherwise paying someone to work for you. Think in terms of what can you be better using your time for, and what would that time be worth per exactly. hour, and then go from there. Yeah, that you know what's exactly. funny though that seems that seems Wendy that seems like I know when you do when you're presenting this to agents, I'm sure that um, they're thinking, well, that makes sense. You know, I want to hire yeah. some you know someone to help me clean the house and maybe a housekeeper and all that. But you know, it's funny the mindset of uh, delegating. That's really what we're talking about, isn't it? So, it's how so do you funny. help agents yeah, understand so that? Well, so um, you know, it was actually a really hard transition for me because I'm a, a you know I grew up in the Midwest and my whole family comes from like a you know Minnesota farm culture, and you don't get leverage. You know, you don't hire people to help you. Don't you know people don't really have house cleaners. You come home and you work really hard and. Uh, you just get everything done yourself. So that was a huge mindset shift for me. And um, I think it was really through, you know, the encouragement of Jay that I was really able to kind of take that leap. But it's really hard, you know. And so anybody who's listening, especially women, I think who we feel like we have to do it all, I encourage you to, you know, take the leap. Because once you get started on the leverage path, it's it's hard to go back. It's a great feeling. Don't- Wendy, don't some, and you mentioned this, and this has been my experience too, don't some women find um, themselves feeling, I don't know if the word's guilt, but sometimes they feel bad when they start delegating those types of things, even mm-hmm. if it is for the betterment of their family? Is that not something, how do, how do women think themselves yeah. through that? So, so walk us through that. Women, yeah, well, I think a lot of women do have a lot of guilt, especially if, um, especially if you're a mom, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of mom guilt. And for me, going, like I said, from being a full-time stay-at-home mom for five years to actually working, I, I had to work through all those issues. But really, you know what? What kids want is they don't want quantity time; they want quality time. And so, if you're able to come home and actually be present with your children or your husband or your wife, uh, you know, and have that quality time versus you know being there a lot but working and being distracted and being on the phone. You know, kids understand that quality, you know, 20 minutes of quality time is worth three hours of quantity time. Yeah, and this is, you know, this culturally, what we're kind of touching on right now, this is something a lot of people, and it is a lot of women that have this issue, this challenge, I really shouldn't call it an issue, but it is a challenge, and it is a personal decision, you know, a lot of um, you know, I feel like you and I are on the Dr. Laura Schlesinger show right now, if you want to be honest, because <laughs> this is like something she she talks to about all the time. Yeah. And and what a lot of folks do, it's interesting, you know, coaching clients, is, you know, they'll start out and when uh, they'll be full-time moms and they'll work real estate on the weekends when their husbands are home. And then what a lot mm-hmm. of them choose to do is when the kids get older and they start going to school, well, then they'll work when the kids are at school. And, you know, mm-hmm. so you can balance exactly it all out. That's really the yeah, point. Which is exactly what I did. Yeah, I mean, it's your, right. it's your choice. It's your business. Well, it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, that's really the, that's kind of the, that's the message. It's not all or nothing. You really can figure out a way Absolutely. Uh, to have, right. And so, but, you know, it is interesting, though. We do have, a, I often, I, Julie and I had this conversation, honestly. I think professional women, truthfully, have about a billion times more pressure than professional men. I think you guys have it way harder than men do. And it is all the, the cultural pressures and all the traditions the and all the, pressure. you know, it's crazy. 
And when now, I come across crazy, you want to hear me. a crazy statistic? So working women today actually spend more time with their children than stay at home moms in the seventies. Now that is crazy. I That's have never crazy. heard that before. That's crazy. Yeah, I read that in um Cheryl Sandberg's book. You know, it, uh, that's yeah. So right, I'm I'm just thinking as you were uh, as you were mentioning it. Why do you think um, we're gonna, it's interesting? You and I are on this path. But why do you think that um, other than just sort of cultural pressures, you know, social pressures? Do you think there's, there's socioeconomic reasons why women feel pressured to work? Do you think the cost structure of essentially uh, raising a family in this economy is say different than when you and I were kids? Do you think that's the reason, or do you think there's yeah, other extraneous reasons? I think that's part reasons? of the reason. I mean, we have a, you know, the the consumer economy is is upon us. I mean, we have, you know, the average home size has increased, I don't know, exponentially since the 70s. The amount of, you know, goods that we all need to have have increased exponentially. And, you know, we just, we need more money than we did in the 70s, and it is a cultural pressure. Um, so, yeah, I mean... But, the, you know, just to kind of circle back around, when you own your own business, you have the ability to control all that. You know, you have the ability. Like when I started, I worked very part-time for the first two years before my daughter started kindergarten. I had, um, you know, I basically worked from 8 in the morning until 12, 12 uh, when she came home from daycare. And and then when she started kindergarten, I really only worked till 2.30. And then eventually I hired a nanny to come two days a week so that I could take appointments on Tuesdays and Thursdays because it's hard to end your day at 1 o'clock or hard to have your last listing appointment of the day be at 1 o'clock. And then eventually, you know, they I had a nanny that would come in the afternoon all five days. And, you know, now I leave at 5.15 every day and pretty much shut down my computer, you know, for the night when I come home. So. Well, yeah, and let's drill down and talk about real estate and your real estate business too. Just to put a period at the previous sentence, it's it's it, a lot of people again going back to just the guilt idea. A lot of people put guilt on women, I think, unnecessarily about the idea of having to work outside of the home and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. But the reality of it is, is that yes, it's the consumer economy, like you said. Yes, it's this more stuff to want. Yet, yes, all that. But also, there's other things that are real, like inflation. Like your dollar doesn't go as far. Like, you know, a gallon of gas costs, you know, more than – so the expenses of just having a normal uh, life with a family of three, if if you will, has gone up uh, to the point where in a lot of cases you do need two incomes uh, to have not just, you know, essentially a fancy lifestyle, but just to have a lifestyle at all. So let's talk about your business. for the middle class, real wages have stagnated, you know. Oh, they have. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, so let's talk about your – real estate business. Now you, um, when did you decide to like build your team? Can you kind of walk us through the genesis of that? Sure. So I really, you know, when I started originally and just to be, you know, perfectly honest, I I was, um, you know, we were, we had been purchasing some, after Jay wrote the millionaire real estate investor, we started to buy some investment properties and I was kind of in charge of that. So I was the landlady and then sometimes we'd come in and do, you know, a small remodel or we do like a fix and flip in 2006 when, a, you know, that when you could actually do that kind of thing in Austin. And uh, and so when I uh, 2009 approached and my first child was going to be going to college, I mean, not college, <laughs> kindergarten, um, it kind of made sense for me to get my real estate license. And for Jay, it was going to be great because, you know, he has written a lot of books on real estate, but he's never actually been a real estate agent. And so it was going to give him some sort of like third party validation for him as a real estate expert. 
Um, and so, yeah, like I said, started really, really part time. And um, but as soon as I could, I started to get some leverage at work. And the first thing that I did was hire a per transaction transaction coordinator. And I pretty much did that right away because, you know, Jay always said, hey, let's just keep uh, living off our salary, you know, Jay's salary, and you can take some of the money that you're earning in your business and put it back in the business. And so I always did that, and I always, you know, spent the money on help and on leverage. So that was the first hire, and then, um, and that was a pretty easy hire. I felt pretty comfortable. It was a cost of sale thing. It wasn't, you know, an upfront expense. It wasn't a commitment to another person and their livelihood necessarily. And then my next hire was really thinking about um, hiring an, you know, sort of an uh, executive assistant. And it was very, very, very scary for me to make that leap. And um, so what I did to make myself feel more comfortable about it is I uh, saved up money to pay this person for 30 hours a week for three months. So I had that money in the bank, and I figured if they're not making their salary back for me, if they haven't freed me up enough to actually create more business and earn their salary, then I just need to fire them anyway. And so that was my first hire, um, and she was great. She wasn't really the person that was going to take me from zero to 60, so we kind of parted ways after about a year. And then I ended up hiring a rock star um, executive assistant who turned into our operations director and then you know a lot of hiring and dehiring and you know along the way I mean it's a it's a it's been a painful process to get from where I was to where I am today well you know it's actually uh, your husband and Mr. Keller actually say it quite well in the original book that Jay co-authored with regards to making hiring decisions in that first you know you're all of a sudden on the hook for uh, a meaningful amount of money to pay this person yeah. every month yeah. but I remember there's a passage in there that I think Jay wrote that in essence says hey guess what you commit to paying somebody say $50,000 a year a huge amount of money for most agents to have to fathom in terms of you know or whatever the amount of money is that's appropriate for your marketplace but guess what if they're a bad hire you can fire them after 60 days it's not like you're actually writing a check for 50 grand you're just right. committing to the idea that assuming that they're the right person for the job you'll end up paying them that amount of money. Mindset-wise, that's a huge shift for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. That's so you important. go from fifty to more like you know eight thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about. I mean, Wendy guys is one of the most successful agents in Austin, Texas, and a lot of you. Well, I'm not sure how many of you actually know, but Austin is one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. And a lot of people are referring to it as the third coast. Uh, there's so much happening in Austin to the point where. It's now been, uh, I think it was, Wendy, you'll know about this more than me. It was just, what, a month ago that it's now seen as the number one tech city in the United States. Yes. yes that yep. e Yeah, yep. right? That was incredible. More yep. than even San Francisco. That's incredible. Right. Well, so let's talk about in a market like this where this much, you drive through Austin, guys, uh, you will not believe the amount of new construction. If you go down downtown Austin, it is a building boom that maybe just took a slight step back during the recession. But for the most part, the construction and the opportunities in central Texas are just mind-boggling. So in a market like this, Wendy, um, what is working as far as, lead, as, far as lead, lead generation? What works and maybe what worked, say, three years ago that's not working so well now? Sure. So, you know, right now we're all struggling to get listings, which, you know, a lot of agents out there listening can probably relate. I think a lot of markets out there are really low inventory, and so – 
We are doing several things, really almost to find um, sellers for our buyers. Um, we are doing what's called circle prospecting, and by that I mean is we have a couple people dedicated on our team who are just calling into neighborhoods and, you know, asking the homeowner, hey, do you realize how much your house has gone up in the last five years? Would you be interested in talking to a listing specialist about how much you could make if you sold your house today? And so that's one way we're, we're getting folks. Um, the second way is um, we are, you know, we get a lot of, um, you know, we work our sphere a lot. So we had a big campaign this year. Now that we're 11 people on our team, we obviously have a really big sphere if you think about you know, all 11 people. So one of the things we've been very committed to is we have a huge chart in our office that says 2015 database editions. It's got everybody in the office's name, and then there's a, a row of fives after their name. And so we are requiring everyone to enter five contacts in their database, in our database, every single week. So in essence, we're adding you know 55 people to our database every single week, and we're getting a lot of traction from that. I did not hear a single thing from you, Wendy, about buying buyer leads. No, we're definitely I'm not, not buying that, that, buyer leads. I, I, I didn't mean to sound I didn't mean to sound no. I didn't mean to sound accusatory. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's a, I think it's valid, you know, because you know we we do do we do we do do some pay per click, so we do do some internet leads. Uh, we're not we have I've never. Bought any buyer leads off Zillow or anything like that, just because you know we're kind of we've kind of gone back to the basics, which is um, you know reaching out to people, talking to our sphere, um, you know networking, and really focusing on the listings. Because in this market, if you have a listing, you know you're not going to have any problem getting any buyers. You know there's mm -mm. just there's no problem. Well, you know that's the that, that's what we that's what we try to get agents across the country to understand what you just said, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you never ever ever have to buy a buyer lead from any of the big portals no. if you have just a listing, let alone ten. I mean, you have listings in this marketplace across the country in like nine out of ten markets. Um, you got to beat the buyers off with a stick, and if you employ something like one eight hundred home hotline or some kind of telephony that's going to capture their information when they call, guys, you don't need fancy anything. The buyers will no. find you when you have listings. You'll have more buyers than you know what to do with. And statistically, I mean, Wendy, the buyers really there's a good percent of them, especially in Austin, they're going to have places to sell, right? When they're moving up, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. There's a lot of move up so, buyers. Market. So what are the greatest challenges? Like, um, Well, here's an interesting, getting back to the previous question. Had I asked you that question about what you're doing for lead generation, let's say, 36 months ago, would your advance have been mm -hmm. different? Um, well, I've never really, you know, we do do some pay-per-click. So we, we focus, uh, we, we have a Boomtown site, and we do utilize that. Um, and so, you know, and that's always been part of our business, but it's never been a huge part of our business. You know, since we started, it's about 20% of our business. And what I like about that is it it it, it gets us um, kind of diverse people in our database, you know, because, uh, you know, not that we all have the same sphere, which we, we don't. Not everybody on my team has the same sphere. But it gets people in our database that we, you know, maybe normally wouldn't touch. And so for me, you know, I think about my business as a big long-term business. I want to be a big business by referral. You know, I want to be around for 30 years. I hope my kids want to work in my business someday. And so for me, like building that, those relationships and building my client database and 
filling that pipeline that way is just huge because, you know, I've, I've met with agents across the country who have big businesses by referral and they've been doing it for 20 and 30 years and they're the ones with the biggest profit margins. And ultimately that's as a business center, that's what I'm looking for. That is the bottom line, isn't it? Um, so let's talk a, a little bit about, in this market, you're, obviously the buyers are having to compete for listings. There's a good bit of buyer's remorse, so, or at least the, the pre- potential for buyer's remorse. How are you counseling or having your agents counsel buyers who are you know, essentially, in many cases, paying more than maybe the last right. sale price by a significant margin to the point where they might even question their sanity afterwards? Yeah. How do you yeah. prepare a buyer for that to avoid buyer's remorse? Yeah, it's hard. It's so we do a pretty extensive buyer consultation. We don't ever go out and just show a property to a buyer without meeting them in the office first. And we explain to all of our clients, hey, you know what? We're not like other other agents. We're not just door openers. We're going to be your consultants. We're your real estate consultants for life. So come on in the office. We're going to get all your ducks in a row. We're going to go through the home buying process and explain the market and set expectations so that we go out and you're in a multiple offer situation. It's not a surprise and you're not going to back out, you know, three days after you wrote the contract. That's right. And so how about sellers? Sellers that know the market's on fire, Sellers that, I mean, in Austin, what's the projected appreciation this year? It's another year of double-digit uh, projected appre- yeah, appreciation, I mean, correct? Some, some neighborhoods, it's, you know, 23%. It kind of depends on the neighborhood. But, yeah, central Austin is, you know, double digits for sure. Right. So a seller, right? You're going to meet a seller today for a listing presentation. You know it's in, you know, 04. It's a perfect zip code. It'll sell mm-hmm. itself. So hot you can drive to the bank and basically hit the ATM machine and they'll give you money for the listing contract. It's that good, right? <laughs> So how do you get the seller to uh, actually, you know, price it for the market? In other words, it's the seller's market, but then they, at the same time, not price it to the point where it's going to dissuade offers. Yeah, well, I, you know, and that's and that's tricky, especially in Central Austin, where you know you can have one house that's 30 years old and never been updated, and the one right next to it that you know was updated last year, and they did a $200,000 remodel. So it can be tricky to price homes. Um, I just, you know, I set expectations. I explain to the sellers, hey, you know, in this market, you almost can't price a property too low because the market's going to tell us how much your property's worth. If we do price your property too low, which I, I actually recommend to, to, you know, clients, I explain the auction effect. You know, if you have multiple people bidding on your house, the price is probably going to go over even what you would have priced it at to begin with. And, um, you know, just saying, hey, you know, the the buyers are very savvy these days. It's not like even five, ten years ago when uh, buyers weren't completely aware of what was going on in the real estate market because buyers today constantly looking at all the properties that come on the market they see you know they go pending in a day so they know what the price is ultimately and you know in some ways the buyers are more savvy than even the real estate agents because they've concentrated on one area and maybe they've been looking for six months eight months nine months 12 months and so they're very familiar with the market and if we overprice it they're just not going to make an offer. Actually, the, what what I tell them that buyers think is, buyers think, you know what, somebody's going to pay for pay that price, but it's not going to be me. And what happens is everybody thinks that, and 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 they never they never, you know, they don't want to make an offer. So it is a balancing act. But you did say something which is interesting, and this is of course what a lot of folks do is they'll you know knowing let's say for example it's a house that's worth a million, you know, you could sell it all day long and twice on Sunday for a million, but you mm-hmm. price it at say, you know, 990 or something, knowing that with mm-hmm. that kind of price it'll generate 
it'll go up higher, uh, maybe to 1.1 or 1.2. Right. That's been that's been the way of the law, you know, the law of the land in California, at least certain parts mm-hmm. of California and New York City, where we've got a lot of coaching clients and other little pockets, but primarily on the coast. That's how it's worked. I mean, sellers really have had the run of the roost. You know, the the scary side will be, or the scary time will be, when the market, when interest rates go up which is supposed to happen later this year, and then all yeah. of a sudden the sellers are going to have to reset their expectations because, as you know, Wendy, they'll be getting their information from the newspaper. They'll be getting Absolutely. their information from sources that will be out of date, and you'll be having to yeah. be the you know, the barrier or bad, bad news with regards to telling them the truth. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about um, specific mistakes you're seeing agents make and you know you do a fair amount of speaking, and obviously you're networked across the country. And and by the way, um, at the end of this uh, radio show, Wendy, I'd love it if you'd uh, let all the listeners know how they can contact you, especially if they have any Austin-based referrals. And I'm sure Wendy is interested in not just immediate Austin, but outside of Central Texas, so that you know goes out outside of immediate Austin. Anything to send it to Wendy, and she'll steer you in the right direction. She can't uh, service that uh, client herself. So as far as mistakes you see agents making what comes to mind um well you know we work in a market here in austin where there's almost 12,000 agents in our mls 85 percent of them will go out of business within two years or less and that's a national statistic the average agent in austin does between two and three deals a year and so uh the statistic i heard is that it's the 80 20 rule except except it's the 12 88 rule, 12% of the agents in Austin do 88% of the business. And so you're just dealing a lot of times with a lot of new agents. And so it's not that they're, um, it's not even that they're bad agents. There's just, it's a very complex business and there's a lot to know. So um, to answer your question, it's really, sometimes we are, you know, you know, giving the co-broke agent scripts, hey, this is what you need to go and tell your seller. You know, um, write this down because this is going to help you when you get there. Or, you know, have you explained this to your seller? Do you understand that? Did they know that? And so it's not only kind of setting expectations with your own client, but it's, you know, counseling and educating the other other agents so they can go back and, you know, kind of give their clients some good advice too. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, Wendy. You know, tell uh, you'll have to – experienced agents are going to have to be comfortable with – uh, coaching the co-ops because they'll, some of them will be seasonal. Some of them will have gotten a listing or be working with a buyer just because they sit next to them in church or what have you. Yep. And the, the balancing act is doing that so you don't basically get their ego all worked up. You can't be approaching them like, you know, <laughs> it, that's the hard part. It's because a lot yeah. of these agents, especially the inexperienced ones, are very yeah. defensive. You're yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's the... Yeah. And that's really the rapport that you build with the other agent is oftentimes way more important than the rapport you build with the seller because if you're in a city like us where 20% of the people or less are doing 80% of the business, chances are you're going to run into, you know, one of those agents again. So, you know, at Keller Williams, we always go for the win-win and, you know, I doesn't always happen, but, um, you know, developing that rapport with that other agent is just, it's it's the most powerful thing. So, Wendy, as we – first of all, thank you. I've had a lot of fun. Hopefully you have, too. That was a quick radio show, right? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so as we round the bend, um, anything else you'd like to say to the listeners out there? And also, please do give them your contact information. And, guys, remember, Wendy is certainly one of the most 
successful agents in the country, a fantastic superstar here in Austin. So make sure you connect with her for all your Austin-based referrals. So, Wendy, how can they, any, any other closing thoughts? And, and please do tell them how they can connect well, with you. Well, you know, just to kind of go back to the mom guilt thing, I had kind of an aha um, about three or four years ago about uh, my mom guilt. And, you know, I realized that my kids say to me all the time, Mom, you're the best mom in the world. And I thought to myself, what other metric is there? I mean, what other what other measure is there besides that? So that yeah. really helped me kind of feel better about everything. Uh, and then in terms of how to get in touch with me, you can send me an email, uh, Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, at papazanproperties.com, and that's P-A-P-A-S like Sam, A-N like Nancy, properties.com. Perfect. So, Wendy, I really appreciate your time today. And, again, Mr. Inman, thank you for connecting Wendy and I. And if we ever do end up doing an Inman Connect panel here in Austin, um, I'll certainly uh, re-invite you to be part of that panel. That's certainly something I look forward to once Brad decides to do that again. And in the meantime, hey, Wendy, have have a safe, fun extremely lucrative and successful and by the way a dry weekend it's it's been raining like cats and dogs here in texas (laughs) we're getting depressed yeah it's weird right we're back in the midwest i'm from ohio you're from the midwest too this is like a normal day in the midwest but that's the reason we moved for god's sake that's right all right so listeners we'll talk to you on monday and wendy have a fantastic weekend and thank you again for your time all right thank you so much This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.